Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. You know, Julie, it always amazes me that we have to explain to agents Mm -hmm. why they want to be listing agents over buyer's agents. Yes, it amazes me as well. I would agree with that (laughs) statement. Although, you know, I can kind of see from their standpoint, it's not always obvious, especially because it seems that your first transactions for many agents are naturally their friends, people who already trust them. And oftentimes those are buyers. Well, you know, when you and I got into the business, I remember now, granted, it was uh, back when people were riding dinosaurs. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I mean, back in the 90s, when you got, you and I got in the business and we sold over 100 houses our first year in the business, we were our early 20s. We bought our first property when we were, I think it was 22 and 23, mm-hmm. 280 East Jeffrey, for those of you <laughs> who live in Columbus, Ohio. Yep. We should have kept that one, by Absolutely. the way. Absolutely. Um, yeah, especially considering we paid... 71 for it and now mm-hmm. it's actually 280 east jeffrey worth at least two hundred eighty thousand. i know who knew right? <laughs> we should have kept that <laughs> one but anyway crazy. so um half of our transactions were listings and half of them were buyers mm-hmm. and we didn't have to have someone explain to us the importance of going after listings because we quickly figured out that when you attracted a seller and you and i definitely went after we were very proactive always were through our entire careers mm-hmm. um you know we would go and actually have conversations with folks about you know, selling their homes and oftentimes it would be for sale by owners and it would be expired and it would be all the other sources of sellers, seller sure. leads that are, cost you nothing um, and that do require some skill and do require some effort, but you can follow our seven-step listing process and convert that seller to an actual paycheck for yourself. But it amazed me that outside of our own experience, the entire industry, and this was forever ago, was still trying to teach agents that you do not even think of becoming a listing agent when you're new in the business. You have to somehow pass through like some kind of uh, long process of pain and suffering of working with a lot of buyers. And then maybe when those buyers turn around and decide to sell five or seven years into the future, then those are your listings. Yeah, I remember people actually saying that, that your listings will come when your buyers, you know, down the road decide to upsize or, you know, get relocated. And furthermore, I, I found it equally as interesting. And I know this still happens, but maybe on a larger scale is we actually had agents who were uh, older generation listing agents mm-hmm. who are older than us by 20 or 30 years in the, you know, back then. Ooh, scary to think they're our age now, right? <laughs> I, I just know. put those thoughts together. Yikes. But where we started taking listings in their, in their quote unquote markets, my area, and we would go in there and obviously we would do what we normally would do. We'd start taking listings. And we had some of those agents who would get super mad at us. Like somehow they own some sort of mm-hmm. sacred right to the properties that, you know, an Oakhurst subdivision or whatever. And for you to go in there and try to even solicit, let alone like, take a listing. You? How dare you? You're stealing it from them. But those philosophies and those approaches, the business still exists nowadays. They do. It just goes to the, you know, lack of real training and um, I think, frankly, that intellectual capacity of the of a lot of folks and you know when determining what their actual potential is in the real estate industry that's and, true and if you see yourself strictly as a buyer's agent you automatically are looking at yourself uh in a very limited way because you can only sell your time and you can only sell your time so many different ways and after that you're out of capacity you have no more buyers that you can work with whereas if you have listings guys you create leverage think of it this way it's very simple right would you rather have five listings right now that have your for sale signs in the front yard 
who other agents are out there trying to sell for you, other because you put it in the MLS, right? Uh, or would you rather have five buyers you're having to give up all your nights and weekends to? You guys get the difference? So why would you choose to put, put all your best efforts towards chasing buyers opposed to putting all your best efforts learning how to be a listing agent? And the obvious answer is because no one's told you any different. <laughs> That's it. That's right. And you know, I'll never forget on a coaching call, this was a newer, maybe two years in the business agent that had been working on her skills and understanding the seven-step listing process and putting together all the bits and pieces, the pre-listing package, learning how to pre-qualify, you know, really honing her skill and had finally built some listing inventory. And I'll never forget an email I got from her. She lives in upstate New York, okay? She said, I finally understand what you meant by become a listing agent. I am sitting here with my feet in front of my fireplace and my yellow lab at my, you know. She sent you a picture. She sent me a picture, a yellow lab. I remember, I remember the dog's name was Cooper. And uh, Cooper and I are enjoying this fireplace in front of a, a big blizzard outside. And she said, and yet I have five showings set up, not by me, but other agents showing my listings tomorrow. They're the ones that are having to trump through the snow. They're the ones who are trying to have, going to have to compete for my listings. And here I am simply gathering more listing leads. I'll be on the phone tomorrow. And here's how insane really everything has gotten. You guys are uh, being sold to believe that you have to buy branding. You have to buy social networking. You have to be creating videos and YouTube videos and all those things have a place. You know, we do all that as part of our coaching business. So understand, we understand what the point of all that stuff is. But in real estate, it's easier than all that. If you want brand, here's all you have to do. Take a listing, put a sign in the yard. They get another listing in the same neighborhood. Get another listing in the same neighborhood. And put sold signs on them when you sell them. Exactly. Those for sale signs, guys, nothing is more powerful. Think of it this way. How much would pick your big company, Google, right, pay to have or Amazon or Tesla or Apple or just pick your, you know, McDonald's, right? How much would they pay to stick a for sale sign or a big, huge sign in the front of somebody's yard in a residential neighborhood? How much would they pay? That would be worth, uh, you know, they pay millions, if not billions of dollars a year in marketing and advertising, but nothing would be more powerful than a localized ad on a small sign in someone's front yard. And that's what you guys get as being real estate agents. And so you think you have to go out there and spend all this money on your marketing and branding, and then somehow magically the sellers will then eventually get around to calling you. That's not the way it works. The way it really works is the marketing and advertising, the social networking, if you choose to really spend any time or effort or much time or effort on that stuff at all, is there to enhance the offline or the, uh, yeah, the offline activities that you're doing as being a proactive lead generator. So for example, you are doing a uh, great organized job of following up and just following our uh, our coaching program. You're learning to be a proactive lead generator and let's just stick with, let, you're going to work on your centers of influence and past clients. You're going to call some expired. You're going to call some notice of defaults. And you do that every single day and you do it based on your magic number formula, which is the number of listings you need at all times to meet or exceed your financial goals and expectations for your business and personal life. And by the way, if you guys want to get that for free, it's a fill in the blank business plan. Just text Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to four seven, what is the code, Julie? Four seven three seven two, and that is you just referred to the real estate treasure map. Yeah, so text Harris to four seven three seven two, and remember, message and data rates do apply. But text Harris to four seven three seven two, and when you do, we will text you back a link, and you can download the real estate treasure map. But here's what I want you guys to remember: obviously, get that done. 
is when you are a listing agent, when you wake up every morning and you say, I am a listing agent, that is my primary objective in this industry. The world really does change for you. The industry changes for you because all of a sudden you start having more time. You start becoming more professional. And furthermore, you can run a normal business day. Listing agents don't work nights and weekends if they choose not to, especially if they choose right. to refer out their buyer leads, which we um, coach all of our top listing agents to do. We coach them to get to the point where they can delegate or refer out all of their buyer leads. And we always suggest they keep one or two buyer leads for themselves, obviously, as they want to stay on top of what's going on in the market. Um, and maybe they're picking the buyer leads were the best, easiest to work with and perhaps the best price ranges. That would make sense too. best use of your time. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, a listing agent has the option of working with buyers because they have leverage created from having the listings. That's something a buyer's agent will never have because the only thing they can actually leverage is their time. So obviously this week we have been talking about the listing presentation and today we are on step number six. If you've not listened to the previous two podcasts, if you've not listened to steps one through five, please just go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, go to Spotify, go to timandjulieharris.com and listen to podcast number one or two, where or one and two, where we give you step one through five of our seven step listing process. Remember, this is an overview, but it'll at least start tuning your mind into the right frequency to be a powerful listing agent. Julie Harris, step number six. Yes, step number six, probably my favorite. It's the most fun once you have your skills going and that's called present. It's showtime. And there are some mini points under this. Step number six, this is the big day. This is the actual presentation. First uh, mini point is remember that, quote, presenting actually begins at the time you convert the prospect from a prospect into an appointment. The better you are from the beginning, the higher chance you have of actually taking the listing, right? So what this really means, Tim, is that when you get ready to do your listing presentation, assuming that you have pre-qualified asking all the questions and things we talked about in previous podcasts, assuming you sent your pre-listing package, you know what price the seller has in mind, you know what their motivation is, you know if they're going to be buying as well with you or somebody else, you know all of those things, your presentation is going to go so much more smoothly, assuming that you have actually followed all of those steps. So these seven steps are not intermixable. You can't skip steps. They are all dependent on each other. And there's a lot of little nuanced things because obviously we're not coaching you on our podcast. We're doing some overview or some training really. Um, but the real drill down comes from being a coaching member. But this does, again, get you going in the right direction. And really what we're hoping you take away from this is being a listing agent is a process. It's just like in, you know making a peanut butter jelly sandwich. You're really doing anything that's organized. You have to do things in a certain order. If you do that consistently in a certain order, this goes even, remember guys, if there's three things you have to get really good, if there's, well, there really are only three things you have to get really masterful at in real estate, proactively generate, uh, presenting, um, or I'm sorry, proactively generating, pre-qualifying in the presenting. Everything else you can be uh, amateurish at best at because it's easily delegated. But those three things, the proactively generating, the pre-qualifying, the presenting, those are the most important things that we strongly encourage you to never delegate. Everything else you can delegate because it's your lower skill activity. And if it's not done at the highest level, then frankly, it won't have that much of a detrimental effect in your overall business because you are proactively lead generating, pre-qualifying for the most seller motivated seller leads, and then obviously presenting to take the listings. Yes, but presenting is that critical thing because even if you're great at asking pre-qualification questions, if you're not great at the presentation, it doesn't really matter. Even if you have a really beautiful pre-listing package, but you stink at presenting, it's not going to matter. 
So use our powerful and proven listing presentation. Do not wing it, even with past clients and people in your sphere, referrals, slam dunk appointments. They deserve your utmost respect, not your skipping of steps. And this is where I have to say, we tend to see the grizzled veterans screw that up because they assume they have that business. We made that mistake. We had. I, I, I remember I, it was it. like our fourth year in real estate. <laughs> mm-hmm. In our first year, we sold over 100 houses and then we always progressed. We never had a year where we didn't do more, sell more. Uh, but I do remember where we were getting complacent in the listing process and just, is that it? That was it. It was complacent. Well, really. you can develop an ego after you win a certain amount of listings and well, you, get, you get busy, you know, you don't want to, why should I have to send that? I, you know, I got it in the bag kind of thing. Exactly. Until you don't. Well, because and, somebody sneaks in that's more professional, more skilled, and more careful. And we are starting to get more centers of influence, but mostly past clients that were listing with us yep. after we've been in the business for three or four years. But we have that happen all the time with our coaching clients. Oh, yes. And it, guys, I'll give you a high-level idea of how we root this out on a coaching call. So someone will say, uh, you know, so what do you, you know, Betty, what are you doing between, you know, how many listing appointments do you have between now and our next coaching call? And they're going to say, well, I have three listing appointments. Great. What was the source of those listing appointments? One was centers of influence and past clients. One was a referral from an agent out of town. One was a referral from, or, and one I found because I knew them through, you know, XYZ networking. Okay, great. So did you pre-qualify all of them? Yes, I did. Okay. Well, tell me the motivation of each of them. Why are they selling? And then usually you'll find that a top producing agent will have intuitively pre-qualified. So they'll know why that person's mm-hmm. selling. Then you'll ask other questions. Well, then do you know who you're competing against? Ah, yeah. there's Are, the rub. And then it? you're going to find out quickly whether they're actually doing a thorough pre-qualification uh, prior to listing appointments because you want to have all the questions answered. You want to know whether you're competing. You want to know why you're competing. In other words, what is it that the listing agent's looking for that they're thinking they have to talk to multiple you agents? You mean the seller. The seller, yes. Sorry. You're wanting to know what the seller thinks the house is worth. You're wanting to know what the seller's, you know, all these things that are part of the seller pre-qualification script that if you skip any of those steps, when you get there, you're going to have to be doing some fancy two-stepping and that's going to lead to failure. Yes, because it wrecks your confidence. It causes you to sometimes have to sort of BS or tap dance your way through an objection. And they can tell, especially more sophisticated sellers. The old saying is, and this is something that we thought of years ago, if you don't know, don't go. And I know, in other words, if you don't know the answers to all the pre-qualification questions, don't go because chances are you're not going to get the listing. So have all the answers now. Okay. So let's say we're talking with Betty and Betty did indeed know the motivation with the seller owes on the house. If there's a first and their second, if they're interviewing uh, other agents and if they are the uh, Betty's known to, she was smart enough to know to try to position herself that she was last on the appointment. Mm-hmm. Okay. This, this all sounds good so far. And then it was, did you send the pre-listing kit? The pre-listing package, the Harris, you know, copywritten uh, pre-listing package. Did you change it? Did you include the seller survival guide questions? Did you actually include a listing contract? Did you include the CMA in the pre-listing pack? Did you make sure they opened it? Did you make, right. Did you follow all the steps? And you will find, and coaching clients, this is what we found after doing this forever, that when someone's actually followed the process and when they've actually done checked all the boxes, the probability of them taking the listing, even if they're a brand new agent, is, it, is of them not taking it is about zero. Because if even if they don't have the world's uh, longest resume of successful track record of selling houses in that particular market, it doesn't matter because the organized approach, the professional listing presentation, the pre-listing pack, the entire process that that agent followed is so much more impressive and comprehensive and professional than what, say, a grizzled veteran in the uh, in the same market who sold a ton of houses has done 
that the new agent is going to at least have a shot at getting that listing from the seasoned agent. Because what's the seasoned agent going to do? They're going to roll in. This gets to complacency. They're going to roll in the listing appointment. They're going to probably have two or three connections to that seller. Mm -hmm. They're going to know more about the neighborhood, more about the house, the whole thing. They're going to probably not have done a pre-listing pack. Certainly not have done a, a CMA that's comprehensive. Going to usually show up late, maybe a little bit slovenly. You never know. In other words, they're not. Presumptive, though. They're not. They're going to be assumptive, and that's going to be enough to, and at least at a subconscious level, piss the seller off. The seller will feel disrespected in some way, mm -hmm. and they'll list with the other agent. Because at the end of the day, guys, and this is the unfortunate or fortunate truth, and this is the truth, if you price the house correctly and you put it in the MLS, in this market, in the market that's going to be here for quite a while, it will sell. And even if you don't price it correctly and you put it in the MLS, it will it sell. It probably will sell. Yes. And a seller knows that it's going to sell. A seller knows that the listing agent that they choose is you know, more or less fungible, that the seasoned grizzled veteran, if they're saying essentially all the numbers are similar to the new agent, and the new agent is impressed that seller with having energy and enthusiasm and a lot of motivation, mm -hmm. not to mention being organized and professional, why the heck wouldn't that seller list with the other agent? And they would. And we have tens of thousands of agents that are testimonial to that exact experience, going back to Julie and I's, um, yes. you know, root experience of having those experiences in our own real estate practice in our formidable years where we were beating the veteran agents and the veteran agents didn't know how we were doing it. They, they thought all kinds of things. They thought we were cutting our commission. Nope. They thought we were telling the seller higher prices. Nope. We are just being more professional, showing up, having energy and enthusiasm. We would beat seller, we would beat listing agents on a regular basis. And this will happen to all of you. And if you're a grizzled veteran, you need to start thinking about being having that uh, new agent mindset again. But if you have great energy and enthusiasm and your skill level is low and you know, but you do follow our listing process, you will win every single time. I'll, I'll even go as far as say this. If you have great energy and enthusiasm and you do our listing presentation horribly, and you send the pre, the pre-listing yeah. pack is a mess. Everything, but you follow the seven steps. But you follow the seven steps, but you had energy and enthusiasm. You show up on time. Uh, you're going to you, win. And you follow the listing process, you're going to win. It's the energy and enthusiasm, guys, that overcomes all when you're in a sales environment, which is what all of you are in. Yes, and it is the little things. All those things that you rattled off, you know, even showing up on time, answering your phone when they call to confirm, call, you calling to confirm, all how these about, things. How about actually calling them back or answering the phone when they originally called for you to go on the appointment? That's what I meant by you are competing from the moment you speak to them. Yep. Okay, because let's say that that grizzled veteran, you know, the one that you live in fear of, oh my gosh, I have to compete against so-and-so. Well, maybe they did most of it right, but they show up late. They don't really return calls. Their voicemail is always full because they're so busy, busy, busy. Well, you're going to win because you're not acting that way. Well, I'll give you guys a little secret. The grizzled veterans, if for those of you who are new in the business or you're uh, Midland, let's say you're just working your way up and you're moving. A lot of you are moving from being a buyer's agent to a listing agent. That's the reason you found Julie and I, and you're listening to us and you're going to become a coaching client. The grizzled veterans, the veteran agents are the easiest to beat. That's true. And uh, I would even say in the higher price ranges, they become easier to oh, beat. Oh, definitely. And, and yeah. And Which is counterintuitive, isn't it? We can give you tons and tons of examples, but I'll give you the one I always like to talk about is Rob Johnson. So Rob came to us and he's now the number one agent in Greenwich, Connecticut, which is the most expensive, one of the most expensive markets in all of the United States, if not the world. And Rob was not in real estate in a formal way prior to him being a coaching client. He joined our coaching program. Uh, we coached him for, it wasn't even that long, five years, four years. Mm -hmm. And he became the number one agent in Greenwich, Connecticut. And we went, he followed the Harris system exactly. 
And this is the same, and that was in a very, I mean, his average sale price is probably, I don't know, $7 million, mm-hmm. something like that. And in a very, very well-established well, Michael, area. Michael know. and Robin Gordon. Yeah. Okay, they're number, too. Yeah. They're number three right. or number five in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they're with uh, Berkshire. They sold 275 houses in, uh, in last year and with worth, I think it was $350 million. Amazing. And they were our third coaching client mm-hmm. like 20 years ago. Yes. And they are uh, another example. They follow the Harris system. And the, you know, they've intertwined their own uh, branding and logo and all the rest of it. But it's fine. The overall system is identical to what we help them create. And here you go. Fast forward from zero to where they are now. And neither one of them, I, it does matter to point this out, neither one of your examples there, and we use them because they are in very expensive markets with blue blood agents that were there forever. Neither one of these guys were born into a real estate family or inherited a bunch of listing inventory, nothing like that. Rob wasn't even from this country. He's from England. Yes. So if it works for them, guys, it does work for you. Now, some of you are nervous about pricing. And in today's market and moving forward, probably for several years here, you do have a little bit of leeway. You can be a little bit off on price and probably the market will save your butt. But in order for you to have more experience and more confidence in your pricing, again, a way of being competitive, go ahead and preview the competition as much as possible and the pending listings so that you can be very accurate in your pricing. So you can say to a seller, you know, before we met today, I went ahead and previewed all four of the homes that are competing with yours. Probably your competition didn't bother to do that even online. So it's a competitive advantage, but it also adds to pricing confidence. And we have done uh, podcasts dedicated to pricing. So if you guys are still nervous about that, you can go and listen to those podcasts. But it's, previewing uh, is important. If you're having a time crunch, obviously, if the other if the other houses that you're competing against for this one have virtual tours and whatnot, well, it makes your job a hell of a lot easier. But the virtual tours aren't going to compensate for, or aren't going to show the fact that you know the house has a strange smell or maybe there's it's an across ex- from the power lines exactly or there's that a, picture or there's road there. noise or whatever and the worst thing you can have happen is have this list or the I keep on saying listing agent have the potential seller ask you a question that has implied knowledge about what they're asking in other words well what do you think about the situation with that property having the um, natural gas line that basically has an easement through the and you don't know anything about it well, guess what? You immediately just disqualified yourself, even with all the energy and enthusiasm in the world to being a listing agent. Yeah. Now, I know some of you, this is the reason you choose to work with buyers because you rationalize that you have to have less skills and you have to be less professional. And you know what? You're right. You do. But eventually you're going to run out of time, energy. And don't you think that the reason that so many agents burn out of this business so fast is because they spend all their time becoming or working with buyers, not learning how to become listing agents? Doesn't it just make sense had they become listing agents out of the gates and they had learned this? skills and the skills then became innate and i.e. easier and they didn't have to think about it anymore. In other words, the conversations they're having with sellers were just normalized to the point where they didn't have to think they had arrived at the level of conscious competence. Uh, Don't you think had they followed that and stayed on, stayed true to becoming listing agents, the best version of themselves as listing agents, do you think they would have gotten out of the business? I'll give the answer. No, No. (laughs) they wouldn't. Instead, they would have risen to the top. They would have, they would have risen to the top. They'd be producing uh, lots of profit. They'd be buying rental properties. They'd be doing other things to create wealth. 
Whereas what do agents who are beholden to buying buyer leads do? They're just waiting for the next email for some, you know, guy in his basement to offer, hey, are you taking any buyer leads in your marketplace? Oh How many calls and emails are you guys going to get like that? <laughs> Is that your business plan? Just waiting for the next lead seller to come your way? No way. Okay, so... The last mini point, but perhaps most important about presenting is know what's most important to the homeowner. Don't assume that you know, and don't assume that it's always 100% about price. We have so many examples, and this is the result of our coaching clients following a specific script that shows you exactly how to do this to ask questions and pay attention to the answers. Everybody assumes it's all price, 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 but especially in today's market, it may be your ability to negotiate a lease back. It might be your ability to find them some new construction to close on, relocation connections. It could be a combination of things. Drill down on what you just said. And listen, I know this sounds strange to many of you because you don't think like this. Julie and I don't think like this. Well, we do when selling our own properties, truthfully. Mm -hmm. The most important thing to sellers is never price, even though they might actually say that. Now, if it's an investor and they're not living there, it's a vacant property, then I'm going to say price. But if you're living there, especially if you have family, uh, dogs and whatever, it's going to be convenience. The price mm -hmm. is going to be the third most important thing. So if you can keep that in mind, that most people are not tr purely driven by the largest check at closing, they're driven by the least amount of hassle in the shortest period of time, then price, then you're going to have a hell of a lot easier time uh, becoming a very powerful listing agent. Julie, let's move on to step number seven. Yes. Remember, this is the seven-step listing process. And without any further delay, here is step number seven. Which is to actually close if you find yourself walking out the door saying, I'll follow up with you in a couple of days, you didn't close or you didn't follow the steps that allow you to close. So let's talk about that. We do give you guys lots of scripts. The listing process that we teach you, the listing presentation that we teach you as being coaching clients tells you exactly what to say and exactly how to say it. And we tell you what to say if they decide, well, let me think about it overnight. Let me pray about it overnight. Let me, you know, uh, you know, ponder it overnight. Whatever it is that they, it's going to put them in a position to want to think about it overnight, we tell you what to say and how to say it to get the contract signed. How to handle it. And, and there's, again, guys, we don't have, this podcast is about 30 minutes. We don't have time to get into the scripts, but never leave without the contract signed. Never leave the listing appointment without the contract signed. If you do, there's a 99.9% .9 chance that you're not going to take the listing. That's right. And you probably did that because you skipped a step or screwed up one of the previous steps. Or, Remember, right. the definition of a close, the close is asking for the signature. The definition of close is that it's the logical ending to a great presentation. It's far easier to close when you've actually followed all of the previous steps. Otherwise, closing is awkward, weird. You might skip it. You might freak out about it. You might do a poor job at it. So it is the logical ending to a great presentation. Making sure your presentation is great makes the close easier. That's all it is, guys. Our whole process, the listing process we just laid out to you guys, the pre-qualifying, the presentation, the, pre the presenting, every single process, it, including setting the appointment, being a proactive lead generator, it's all, it's just basically questions. It's questions strung together in a logical order that leads to the logical conclusion that they should list with you. That's all it is, just questions. Questions that are designed to have the seller uh, self-discover why they want to list the house with you. Which is kind of like self-closing in a way, isn't it? It is. And it's not, and by the way, a lot of the things that you guys are thinking that you have to do in a listing presentation are absolutely not necessary. For example, here's a kind of an antithesis to what's being trained to everyone nowadays. 
The more you talk about yourself, the less likely you are to get the listing. Oh, and by the way, even outside of sales, the more you talk about yourself, the less likely you are to have that person want to have anything to do with you in the future. So in a listing presentation, what some of you guys do is you think you have to win the listing by over, by this is how many followers I have YouTube views. This is how many, this is and how many that's. And you guys think that's the reason that the seller and awards and designations and all the rest. You guys think you're supposed to walk in there as Bravo TV stars and you're supposed to somehow impress them with how intertwined you are into the social networking realms of the world. And, but here's how I would beat you. Like if I were competing against somebody that was trying to use that, because guys, guess what? Prior to social networking, it was marketing. Here's the question. So Mr. Seller, let me ask you, how did you find this property for sale? Did you find it from a tweet? Did you find it from a TikTok video? No, you didn't. You found it because your buyer's agent showed it to you. You drove past it, or maybe you just, you know, you found it from a a referral from somebody else, but you didn't find it from social networking, correct? So you found this listing. Okay. So Mr. Seller, if I were to go where your neighbor from across the street, where'd they move from? Oh, they moved from, you know, two blocks away. So they, they didn't probably know about this listing or this neighborhood from a, uh, you know, from a, a YouTube video, they knew the community. So what you guys are being uh, led to believe is you have to create this, uh, these online personas of being uh, real estate celebrities. That's really where all this is going. It's just placating your egos at the end of the day in order for people to want to do business with you. Anybody, everybody, you know that that's a lie. You do. And why are you doing it? I think you're, most of you are doing it, frankly, and I let, say this lovingly, out of ignorance because you guys have not had any, uh, anybody that's pulling in the opposite direction. The way that you become successful is you earn the right to do business with the people you want to do business with, not by trying to convince them they're, you're successful before you are. That's how you ultimately build a business, any kind of business. You do the proactive lead generation. You do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. You actually go out there, you get the listing, you sell the listing, you put the sold sign in the yard, you know, and you do it over and over and over again. And what you'll discover is you don't have to spend any time, virtually no time whatsoever, doing the things that other agents are doing. And again, these what you're seeing now is the end of an era uh, and Julie and I have seen these different eras in real estate mm-hmm. marketing that have come and gone. The, and back when Julie and I were selling real estate, it was again, marketing, personal branding and teams, but it was before social networking. Now it's an, a market. And, and as soon as the market corrected, all of those companies that were selling marketing, branding and social net or uh, marketing and branding and team building, all those companies went out of business. And then as soon as the market started to pick back up again and it became a seller's market again, then all those types of businesses came back in. Soon as the market slows down again and it becomes what's a, called a skills-based market, all those businesses go out. Say so what happens is those companies can exist selling you guys fairy tales all the while the market is not uh, skills-based because the houses are selling themselves. You get it? As soon as the market changes, as soon as people need skills, as soon as listing uh, sellers start demanding listing agents that have uh, not just a you know, a great personality, frankly, or maybe they even know them from centers of influence to past clients, but listing agents that actually know how to sell things when other agents don't, know how to price things when other agents don't, that's when it becomes skills-based. All these other fantasy land companies go out of business. All the other bright light companies go out of business. And you're already seeing a lot of these companies struggle and fail. Look what happened to Zillow. This is the end of a phase that has come and gone, will come and go again in real estate. It follows the cycles of real estate. It follows the cycles of essentially where the money's flowing. So please remember what I'm telling you because it's stone cold true. If you don't want to be beholden to buying leads, you need to build a business that's based on skill. 
And remember, guys, it always comes down to this. It's one of our Harris rules mm-hmm. and our book uh, that's for sale, obviously, at Amazon and every major bookseller. Uh, you uh, it, do not build your mansion, a.k.a. your business, on land you do not own. Do not build your business on land you do not own. So if you are building your business based on bought leads or based on social networking, you do not own those platforms. And ultimately, you're going to be beholden to the whims of those tech giants and deciding whatever the hell they want to do. Whereas if your business is based on skill, you will always be able to be a proactive lead generator, always be in control of your own destiny, always be able to control your own income. That's right. And you can tell because when the market does start to shift, all the agents that have concentrated on their skills and do have a systematized business, they love it. They do. Because they they know that the weaker agents are going to wash out. Coaching businesses like ours, when the market starts getting tough, when people wake up and realize that um, you know they actually need skills and what we've been saying on our podcast for you know 20 million plus downloads now of our podcast, number one listen to daily podcast in the United States, United States for real estate agents. When they, that's our business takes off then. Yes. And, and, and right now, but I'll, this is what happens. Agents get their license yep. and they get into the business or even they've been in the business, right? And you know, they're, they're trying to figure out, well, what should I do to generate leads? The first thing that all of them have done, because they've, most of these guys have not been in the business for long enough to know that they can be proactive lead generators is they just think, who am I going to buy leads from? Sure. That's the first thing that all of them do. And I think Well, they listen to this podcast. They know they don't have to do that anymore. But the reality of it is, is I see and I read and I hear the world, the agents are totally wising up to the fallacy that you could build your business based on bot business. Yes. Because, you know, I'll give you an Mm -hmm. example. Sure. I was talking to somebody who had a big team. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm almost going to say the name, but I'm not going to. Who had a big team. They did a lot of buyer agents Mm -hmm. or buyer sites. And they were uh, Zillow flex agents. Mm -hmm. And I did the math backwards. and And the gentleman was telling me how many units they did on the buyer side of the transactions. Uh, he and his wife still sold. They did the listings and they had these buyer sides that were coming in. They did like 150 or 175 sure. buyer sides. It's a and, lot. and it was a lot. He was proud of it. He was telling me sure. about his numbers. He was number one this and number one that. He had a double diamond ruby trophy and, you know, whatever, whatever, right? All that. Ego, ego, ego. Yeah. Okay. So then I did, I said, well, have you ever figured out what your actual profit for those, on those buyer sides is? Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, I know what my profit is in my business. I make this much off each transaction. I said, well, Okay, I'm not disagreeing that you know what your blended cost is, but or your blended profit is, but have you figured out what your profit is off your listings versus off your buyer side transactions? Because and those are like running two different businesses. It is two different businesses, yeah. right? So the listings into the business is going to be something that's going to be naturally more profitable than the buyer side of the business. And so we t- we picked a random buyer side transaction. Mm-hmm pick your last transaction. I said, he, he said, well, there's this one that just closed and the commission was like, it was right around 10 grand. I'm going to say mm-hmm. nine grand. Right. I said, well, how much did you pay for that lead? Basically, how much did right. you pay? And it was something like three grand, $3,500. Yeah, and I said, well, how much did you pay the agent? Well, the mm-hmm. agent, because the, how the commission split was working was something on like a 60 or 70% commission split. Sure. So I said, okay, let's take 90%. Mm-hmm. And this is, and they did, th- these were, um, these guys were with a company even though they were 100% because they'd capped, they were still paying a 6% royalty. Okay? Got it. So the 9000 mm-hmm. came in. Five, Meaning 6% comes off the these, top of the commission. Yeah, right? exactly. $540 went to the uh, royalty fee. There was something like a $250 transaction fee. And there were some of the mis- miscellaneous Mickey Mouse. So let's call it $1,000. Yep. It probably wasn't that much, but say 1000 Now you're down to 8000 
but the referral fee came off the nine, mm-hmm. right? And it was, it was at least 33%. I may have been 35%. Let's say 30% because I can do yeah. that in my head. Right, down to so, six. So now, now you're down to uh, nine, went to eight, yeah. eight off uh, three, goes to five. Mm-hmm. And then the buyer's agent was based on, um, the buyer's agent was receiving a 70% uh, of the commission split. Mm-hmm. And so when you did the math on that backwards, and then he had two transaction coordinators that were just there in service of the buyer's agents. Right. And he had a location. Mm-hmm. He had a physical office right. where these transaction coordinators who were not remote were sitting in an office drinking coffee he was paying for. You, you get my so point So he wasn't here. just paying the transaction coordinator fee. He was also paying the space for them to do their work in. The, the moral of the story, guys. So the net was, at the end of the story. Basically nothing. Essentially was, nothing. He was making like $100 per buyer agent side. You guys can do my math. In but Tim, very- there were 150 of them. Well, exactly. Doesn't that make it okay? Well, you know, so then I start asking him. I say, well, what happens when that buyer, when a buyer lead materializes that it's a listing uh, that uh, who pre-qualifies them? Mm-hmm. That was my question in essence. Well, Zillow Flex, Zillow pre-qualifies them. Okay. But does Zillow refer the listing? Sometimes do they keep the listing for themselves? Sometimes. Sometimes. Or I mean, who knows, right? Sure. So let's just say in a general transaction, the buyer's agent is doing the pre-qualifying mm-hmm. to which I said, how many seller leads came off all the buyer leads that you generated, you spent money on to generate for your buyer leads? How frequently are they actually uh, following an organized pre-qualification script and actually pulling out those buyer, those people that are showing up as buyers, right? And then, and then rooting out the sellers and sending those back to you. And he knew off the top of his head because it's happened so infrequently. Right. It was like five times last year. Yeah, because that's not what they're focused on. Right. Because he wasn't just spending money on Zillow Flex. He was spending money on all these other things mm-hmm. to generate buyer leads sure. for his buyer's agents team. Yep. To which I again asked the question you ask, why are you doing it? Yeah. And he never had anyone ever ask him that question. I know. And there's, there's so much more to that conversation too, because when the buyer's agents are responsible for doing the pre-qualifying and they're not vetting out the seller leads, and they're also very focused on the easier buyers who maybe already have their financing in place, or maybe they're all cash. So there's also an unintended byproduct of leads that aren't getting converted because, you know, they weren't easy to work with this weekend. Not only was he not making money, but he was wasting money because he thought- That's what I'm saying. Right. He felt beholden and was coaching and training and mentoring these agents. Yes, that's the whole other and torturing him and torturing himself to basically sure. help them and being their best friend, their mentor, and their boss. Right, and it, it goes down to why the hell was he doing it? He was mm-hmm. doing it for ego. He was not doing yeah. it. He was running essentially the buyer's agent side of his business was nonprofit. But that's not the worst call I've ever had. No, I had one a couple years ago, but I've had iterations of this a million times before. Uh, I remember who it was. First mm-hmm. name Russ. Yes. Central Texas, okay? Mm-hmm. Number one mm-hmm. REMAX agent, if I remember correctly, or one of the top ones in this particular Williamson County, right? Yeah. And so we ran his numbers, same yeah. conversation. Uh-huh. And not only did we find that the buyer's agent side of the business wasn't just, unpro- it wasn't not making him any profit, mm-hmm. but we actually found that the listing side of the business was actually subsidizing the buyer's agent right. side of the business. And he and his assistant were doing all the listings. Mm-hmm. And then we found that had he not had any of the buyer's agents uh, associated costs, Mm-hmm. Not only would he have netted more, he would have netted like 200,000 more. So he yes. was taking, he was generating money from his effort being a listing agent. Mm-hmm. And he was actually subsidizing the buyer's agent side of the business. Right. Which meaning makes no meaning sense. he could have been doing fewer transactions, almost all listings right. himself, plus maybe a TC or something, transaction coordinator, and actually netted more income for himself doing fewer transactions. Correct. Again, counterintuitive. This is why agents think they've got to build a big team and make a big organization and expansion teams and all this kind of stuff. But the numbers don't vet out. They don't make any sense. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't work some buyers yourself. We always recommend that you carry two or three buyers, you know, 
usually but what should you do with your buyers that you are on something that's where i'm going is you can have uh buyer referral agents right okay and you should have a variety of referral agents some maybe for upper end clients some that like relocation some that maybe are really good at new construction some that love working with first-time buyers which you would otherwise make nothing on with somebody on your team. luxury uh you know maybe some agents who work in the luxury realms they will all guys what do agents nowadays or what are they willing to pay for buyer agent referrals like it's insane you know because you do it right you know because you do it right 35 <laughs> percent. i've heard some cases where um a reload lead will not only have a referral fee but with a broker split for a new agent, they're oh, yeah. paying over 50% That's for true. the referral fee and the broker split. And you know what else? They say please and thank you. They actually appreciate the referral. They do a really, assuming they do a great job. So the point of all this is that, guys, you're, there's no real point in keeping the buyer sides internal when there's non-team uh, member agents, if you want to simplify this, that are willing to pay you, pay you what will amount to more net profit if you refer the listing out or the buyer lead out to them. Obviously, we want you pre-qualifying them yourself to determine whether yes. they're sellers and keep those yourself. And to Julie's point, make sure you're always working with a couple buyers at all times. But for the most part, guys, build a listings-based business. If the market turns, if interest rates go up, if there's a, you know, what the hell have we not had happen yet? An alien <laughs> invasion, right? I mean, right. seriously. Well, some say. Some. <laughs> we already have. Well, no. okay. So what are we yeah. missing here? We're missing aliens and zombies, okay? Yeah. We have yet to have- Already had a pandemic, check. A pandemic, right. Had a housing crash, check. Yeah. Had a housing boom, check. Inflation, if not hyperinflation. We got all Who that. Knows? We got all, all these great but things. But your are... point, I think, is flexibility, right. right? But the listing agent, a listing has yeah. leverage. Yes. The buyer's agent, as soon as the market farts in one direction or the other, buyers take themselves out of the market. Buyers will say, yeah. I don't have to buy. And that's really the essence of really what it comes down to. I remember- very clearly, when Julie and I got this lesson when we were like 23 or 24, when someone essentially pointed out what should have been obvious to us, but it wasn't, give me an example was the question of a buyer that has to buy. Has to buy. Has to buy. Has no choice but to buy. And you, some of you will say, um, somebody who's an investor or do a tax, you know, 1031. 1031, but that's not really true. They can just pay the taxes, mm -hmm. right? So at the end of the day, there are no examples of a buyer that has to buy. The buyer can stay put. The buyer can always rent. And that's what most buyers choose to do when there's even the slightest headwind. Whereas if you look on the listing side, give me an example of a seller that has to sell. The Man. list is endless. It is. So would you rather go after the truly motivated or the, those that are just occasionally motivated? You can spend all of you have, or hopefully you can avoid this and never do this again if you've committed this crime, <laughs> your, this professional error. All of you have spent nights and weekends and you just stay with this one damn buyer because you've already <laughs> wasted so much time with them. You're going to take this into the end zone. And then you waste an entire year of Saturday afternoons. And then the buyer just decides to not buy something or they end up buying new construction. And you don't get paid. This is what happens when you work with buyers. And work then you get so pissed about it too. Oh, my buyer ran off and bought a new construction house after I showed them 47 houses. Right. You know, that can happen. There's obviously, guys, working with buyers is a path you can choose. And working with buyers is an, you know, certainly honorable thing to do. And buyer's agency has a, has a place in this industry. By the way, Julie and I didn't even address the fact the buyer's agent commissions are being reduced. We didn't even address the fact that there's a good reason to believe the buyer's agents are going to start having to negotiate for their own commissions, not just with the sellers, but also with their own buyers to pay the commissions. You guys get it? That whole... Everything about the buyer agent side of the business is going to change. It already has. 
on the listing side of the business, it's the least likely side of the business where tech, tech companies will ever be able to delegate or I'm sorry, ever be able to disintermediate agents. That's the reason they haven't been able to and they have been trying. There will not be a company that's going to come around that all of a sudden make listing agents extinct or obsolete. Nope. There will be and already are reasons to believe that's going to happen to the buyer agent side of the transaction. This is what's happening. This is the evolution of an industry when it's been in a long-term seller's market. So wise up, guys. It's your time. Become listing agents. Stop beating your head against the wall and become listing agents. Focus all your best energies on becoming listing agents. And we've got something that's going to make it easier for you. Yes, you're going to download the real estate treasure map and you're going to complete it. But when you do, you're also going to be entitled to a coaching call with one of our new member coaches. All you have to do is text the word Harris to, uh, what is it again? Why 47372. I'm trying to trick you into saying it. I think. Did you get it right? Yeah. 47372. <laughs> text the word Harris yes. to 47372. Text the word Harris to 47372. And remember, uh, message and data rates may apply. But go ahead and do that now and you'll get the real estate treasure map and you'll be entitled to a free coaching call with one of our new member coaches. So text our last name, Harris, to 47372. Anything else you'd like to say to yes, these guys, Julie Just Harris? remember the lifestyle of a listing agent is so much superior to being beholden to buyers and again, we're not anti-buyers. We're just very, very pro-listing. So follow the seven-step listing process and you will have more confidence. You'll have a more predictable business and you'll be loving it instead of running around with buyers all the time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>